Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're here to serve you in any way that we can. For more information about our resources or our church, you can check out hope at crossroads.org. Online, you can find access to other resources like devotionals and study books. Thanks again for joining us. And now let's start this week's message. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. I got to say, I'm proud of you, Crossroads. We lose all the power and you didn't miss a beat. You just rolled with it. You just rolled with it. I thought for a minute I was back in Africa. You know, no words on the screen or anything like that. We just kept on rolling. So praise the Lord for that. If you've got your uh, Bible, if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 13. And uh, while you're turning there, thank you, worship team. Thank you, Stephen, for leading us. And uh, uh, thank you to my friend Eric. What a, what a great honor today to celebrate what God is doing in his life and in uh, the life of uh, their family. Wow, amazing, amazing things. Um, while you're turning there, uh, let me um, uh, remind you, today we're going to try to finish our study in Hebrews, and in just a couple of weeks, I believe it's September the 10th, uh, we will start our new study in the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel, the Old Testament book of Daniel, which I think has a lot to say uh, to us with what we're facing in our world. It's pretty appropriate uh, when you study the life of Daniel and end times and all that. So uh, if you will be praying for that as I continue to study and get ready for that. On September the 3rd, which is a Labor Day weekend, uh, we will be watching, I don't know if this has ever been done at Crossroads, we'll be watching a, a video during the service uh, about the uh, awesomeness of God. Uh, some of our uh, team on Wednesday Bible study has seen that, I think maybe 15 uh, of our team that BJ has been leading, and they were so um, enamored by how incredible it was, they said, you know what, this would be great for our whole church family to see. So September the 3rd, that's what we'll be doing during our worship time together. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, this morning, I'm going to stop along the way just because there are a lot of verses for us to look at and uh, make the points that will be uh, on the, your screen this morning and in the handout, the bulletin, if you want to follow along and, and take some notes. So let's start it together. Chapter 13, verse 1. Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Let me stop right there. I know we have many folks visiting with us this morning. You may want to look at your neighbor and say, are you an angel? Because they might be. You never know. Some of you are shaking your head. Nope, they're not. I know them very well. I understand. I understand. But there may be. There may be some angels here. I don't know. Verse 3, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Let me stop right there. If you have been tracking along with us as we've been studying the book of Hebrews, you will know uh, that those that the writer is writing to find themselves in a nation uh, that is miserably divided. Huh. Sounds familiar. Uh, they are uh, in a time where a lot of people are distracted, both about the matters of faith and religion and about civic things, about political things. Huh, sounds familiar. 
what they were facing is very similar in context to what we see in our world right now. And apparently, uh, there were some people who were neglecting some things. And the writer of Hebrews begins to tell us right at the start of this chapter what some of those things were. Some of those things were neglecting hospitality. Let me just stop right there. I believe that that is one of the most positive uh, attributes of the Crossroads family. Uh, I have people all the time who visit, and if you're visiting today, I pray that you have felt the hospitable, warm welcome of our church. If you're visiting, you probably don't know this, but when my wife and I stepped into this church a little more than five years ago to visit for the first time, it was that hospitable, warm welcome that we felt that made us actually come back the next week and the next week and the next week and then got slowly sucked into a small group which we love, by the way. And we got into that small group and fellowship and we fell in love with the people in this church. And so if you're visiting, our prayer would be that that would happen to you. I think if you think about hospitality, uh, our church is doing a great job. But that was not the case for the people that this writer is writing to. Apparently there was also some issues with relationships. There was some uh, things going on around the issue of marriage. So he, cha- he or she challenges them to think about how marriage should be held in honor. And he thinks about, talks about some other character issues as we go in, into the rest of the text. So all that said, the first thing that the writer tells us is there is a problem. And the problem, simply put, is the same problem that we face today in our world. And it's S-I-N. It's no different. Than what we face now and what they were facing then, sin. Somebody said to me one time, have you ever noticed that the center letter in the word sin is I? The center letter in the word pride is I. And what was happening is these people were, that he's writing to, or he or she is writing to, were so concerned about themselves uh, that they wanted, they were looking out for number one and it caused division and distraction. And basically... They were not content, and you're going to know that because we're going to pick up reading at verse 5 in just a minute. They were very discontent people. Uh, I started looking this past week at people in the Bible who were discontent. It won't surprise you to know there are a lot of people in the Bible that were discontent. Let's just start at the very beginning, shall we? The book of Genesis, which we've gone through as a church family, the very first person God created found himself in discontent because God had pretty much said, I'm going to place you in paradise and give you everything that you want and I'm going to walk with you. And yet, all of a sudden, when he also created woman, they found themselves going, hmm, maybe God has not given us everything that we really should have. And they became discontented. I mean, think about it. Adam, walking in paradise with the Spirit of God, found himself discontent. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Now you don't feel so bad about yourself feeling discontent from time to time because if Adam felt that way, okay, wow. Also, some other people uh, or some other beings that found themselves in discontent were the angels. Apparently, the Bible tells us in Isaiah and some other passages of Scripture kind of give us the full story that one-third of the angels did not think themselves, uh, thought of themselves so important that they uh, thought, well, you know what, worshiping God is not good enough. We should be as equally in power as he is, and God cast them out of heaven. We know them now as demonic angels or demons who serve with the enemy, Satan. 
Folks, if you find yourself or I find myself feeling from time to time discontent, I just want to tell you it's nothing new. But I also would tell you it is a sin to be discontent. When God has given us everything that we need, I think it's 1 Peter that says this, for life and godliness, God has given it all to us freely and ultimately given us the most precious gift of His Son. And yet we are a culture, and this was a culture at the time, that was not content. What does the writer say to do about this discontentment? Verse 5, he says this, Let your character be free from the love of money. Not money, by the way, but from the love of money. Does anybody know where there's another scripture that says something about money being the root of all evil, right? Is that what it says? No. The love of money. And this writer says the same thing. Let your character be free from the love of money, being, New American Standard, my translation says, being content with what you have. So the problem is sometimes we're discontent, we're sinful people, we're, we're not uh, happy with what we have. We're envious maybe of what somebody has. And we, ha- we have this discontent. But the provision that God gives us through His Son, Jesus, is something very, very powerful. And it is contentment. The sin that's contrary to contentment, the sin is, that's contrary to this grace of contentment, is covetousness. Which the Bible's pretty clear about the thoughts of covetousness. This over-eager desire that we have in our culture to envy those who have more than us. And it's not just talking about money. We can envy people who have more stuff. We can envy people who have more money. We can envy people who have more peace. We can envy people who have more prestige, more achievement, more accomplishment. And really, if you think about it, and I have over the last few weeks knowing that Hebrews 13 comes after Hebrews 12. So I knew this chapter was coming. I can't think of a single sin that's not birthed out of being discontent. I mean, if you cheat in school, you're cheating in school because you're not sure that you've got the right answers for the test. So you're discontent with what your answers would be. So you look over at the person beside you. Or maybe they're texting you under the table because you are gifted enough to text without even seeing your phone. And you get the answers. If you look at things that are inappropriate, you're filling your mind and your eye and your heart with those things because somewhere inside of you there's a discontent with what you already have. I mean, I've tried to think, and you you correct me after the service today, I've tried to think of, is there any sin that is not birthed with being discontent? I can't think of one. So contentment then is huge. This thing that God gives us freely, this gift that comes because of His grace of contentment is huge. Now, as I was thinking about this this week, I want to be clear. There's a couple words that we interchange in our culture, but they actually do not mean the same thing. And here are the couple words. The, The two words one I've already given you is being content. The other is being satisfied. Satisfied is how I feel after a crossroads potluck. I have stuffed myself, I have gorged, I have eaten until I cannot eat anymore. I am satisfied, I am happy, I am finished, I've taken action, I've eaten, I've accomplished my goals. Now I'm ready to rest on my laurels 
and usually ready to go take a two-hour nap. That's being satisfied. Where we, where we sit and rest after something happens. I, I just want to say to you, and you've probably figured this out by now, uh, church family, I am not satisfied with where we are as a church. I'm content. But I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied because I know God wants to do more in me. And God wants to do more in you. And God wants to do more to reach more people in our community. And in these surrounding neighborhoods. And God wants us to do more for His kingdom. So I'm not satisfied, but I am content. You say, well, then what is contentment? Content means you are happy, but you're still laboring. You've started, you're improving, but you have not yet arrived at your destination because you know God has more in store. There's a great apostle in the Bible that knew how to explain that much better than your than your pastor can, and he talks about it in the book of Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, talks a lot about being contentment. And by the way, contentment, being content, actually has more to do with who you are on the inside than the external things that surround you. Because you can be content living in a hut in Malawi, Africa, with absolutely nothing. You can be content living in Greer, South Carolina in a million-dollar home. So your contentment is, and my contentment, is not based on those external things. It's really based on what is inside of us. And Paul says it this way, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. I don't speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. I know how to have little, I know how to have much. He says, everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul is a great one that could be content. I think about Old Testament characters that were content. My mind immediately goes to Joseph. Joseph was treated wrong, done wrong by his brothers, sent off, dropped in a pit. They left him for dead, wound up going through up to Potiphar's house, wound up being wrongly accused of, of trying to make a pass at Potiphar's wife. All these things happen, and you read the story of Joseph, and time after time after time, it says he was trusting in the Lord, believing in the Lord. He was content in here. Circumstances around him were like a raging sea at times, but he was content in his heart. So here's my question that I wrote down for me this morning. Am I satisfied or am I content? What then is the source of my contentment? Because sometimes we can be, we can think we're content, but when the source of our contentment is revealed, if we panic, then we realize that the source of our contentment was not where it should have been. Kind of like this morning. When all the screens and the lights and everything go down. We're like, what do we do? What do we do? And Stephen just kept rolling, rolling with it. Contentment, contentment. So the source of our contentment, he tells us where the source is, verse 6. Actually, into verse 5, he says, Be content with what you have, for he himself, God has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? That's a, he's quoting a passage in Psalm chapter 118. 
So he's reminding us if we're going to be content, our contentment has to be in a person, his name is Jesus, in, in somebody who we can fully place our trust and our hope and our faith. And we'll be content. Matter of fact, he uses uh, five. This would, he, would, he would not make a good uh, turn this book of the Bible into an English teacher. He probably would be red ink all over it because the English teacher would go, you can't say that. But he actually has five negatives in one statement. I will never, no, never leave thee, no, never forsake thee. Never, no, never, no, never. Never, ever, ever, ever. He's giving emphasis on that passage in Psalm 118 to say, part of where you and I get our contentment is realizing if we're children of God, that God is never, ever, never, ever, never, ever, never, 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 ever, never, never, going to leave or forsake us. That's why we're content. Because the world around us is going to change. Inflation is going to happen. Politics is going to happen. Our person is going to be in office, out of office, whatever. The world around us is going to continue to rage and go crazy. And if we want to be content, the writer is saying, you've got to put your trust in Jesus Christ. The true believer will have the gracious presence of God with him in life, death, forever and ever and ever. Praise the Lord for that. Let's keep reading. He says this, verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their their conduct. Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. Now he's getting ready in these next few verses to get us into who is the priority. The problem is there's chaos, there's sin, there's all these things in the world. The provision God gives us through the grace of his son Jesus is we can be content in all the craziness of the world. But we have to make someone a priority. And the priority is Jesus. Because Jesus Christ, he or she says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 8. Don't be carried away by varied and strange teachings. For it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who were thus occupied were not benefited. In other words, food is great. Food will sustain you physically. But what we need is we need Jesus. And then he gets into some very interesting verses. And I'll be honest, I had to read these many, many times over the last few weeks and do a little research to see what he's trying to say here as we talk about the priority, the priority of Jesus. He says, verse 10, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Now, if you've been tracking along in our study of Hebrews, you'll know that one of the things that the writer of Hebrews kind of said from the onset, chapters 1, 2, and 3 in there, He was setting up the fact that Jesus Christ is the greatest person ever. Greater than the angels, greater than Moses. He's supreme. He's our high priest. He's the one that we can go to, that we can talk to, commune with. And because of his grace, we can have a relationship with God. And so he had talked about in earlier chapters how the old sacrificial system... Hebrews 7, 8, 9, right in there, we talked about this for several weeks. The old sacrificial system of having to sacrifice an animal to atone for sin so that we could have fellowship with God and communication with God, we don't have to do that anymore because Jesus is the high priest. So he kind of goes back to that and says this. Let me read it again, verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle... The old way of thinking have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place... By the high priest as an offering for sin, remember that was the old Levitical system, are burned outside the camp. So let's stop right there just a minute. I had, I had to research this because I had forgotten. Maybe you know this. Hopefully you do. 
they would burn the animals and sacrifice the animals in Old Testament outside the camp. They, they would not bring those animals and burn them in the tabernacle, in the church, in the Holy of Holies. That would have defiled the church, right? So they did that outside the walls of the tabernacle. Then they would bring the blood in. The high priest would bring the blood in. And so he's painting that picture of what happened outside the camp. And then he says this, verse 12, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Hence, let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. What is he saying, Pastor Jack? Jesus, in the same way, he's saying, was outside. Outside the camp. Not where you would think a person of his caliber would have the, how could we say, the status to atone for someone's sins. Somebody said it this way, the place of Jesus' sacrifice is very important. It didn't, his death did not occur within the holy grounds of the tabernacle or the temple, but on the profane ground of a Roman killing field. So Jesus, even in his death, is demonstrating the magnitude of paying for the, the, the sins of the world, the penalty, your penalty and mine, death on the cross. He's demonstrating that by the place that he actually gave his life was outside of the religious order, if I can say it that way. Outside the camp. Again, verse 11 through 14, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin were burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the city gate in order to sanctify the people by his own blood. So then he challenges us as we think about the priority of Jesus, the one who makes this possible, our, our communion and relationship, fellowship with God, the one who makes that possible. He says this to us in verse 14. He's getting ready to set up what our response to this should be. He's talked about the problem. He's talked about contentment and how that comes as a free gift of God. When we know Jesus, His grace gives us the ability to be content. He tells us how we do that as we put our priority on Jesus. And then He says, here should be your response. Verse 14. We do not have a lasting city, but we're seeking the city which is to come. Through Him then... Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So what are the sacrifices we have to bring? When, when you and I encounter, when we make Christ a priority, and we come into an experience like this to worship, the writer is asking, what then should be our response to knowing that Jesus is our high priest and all the things he's talked about in the book of Hebrews? There's not any uh, outward sacrifice that we, we could, could make. There's no need for us to bring the blood of an animal this morning to the, to the altar. So then what, what is our response? Well, he tells us what our response should be, actually twofold. And the first thing that he says is when we acknowledge the great sacrifice of atonement that Christ gave his life outside 
the camp, then our sacrifice should be two things. Number one, the sacrifice of praise to God. The sacrifice of praise to God. And there's a couple key words in that phrase that he mentions, and the first one is sacrifice. We don't sacrifice like they did in the Old Testament times. But worshiping God, I would submit to you, based on the other passages God's Word talks about, should cost you and I something. Here's my own conviction. My conviction is that for too long in North America, Christianity and praising God has cost us very little, quite honestly. I wouldn't necessarily call myself a prophet, church, but I can read the news. And I would tell you this, the day is coming very, very quickly where worshiping God in the United States of America, if you truly are a follower of Jesus Christ, is going to cost you something. So I'm just telling you, prepare yourself. It's coming. So far, it's cost us very little. I mean, we have what a, what a, what a great opportunity we have to come together and to be able to fellowship. We're not stopped at the door. We're not carted at the door. In, in some places on the planet, you understand places like China and some of the third world places, when they gather to worship, there's no real public display of worship. It's secretive. It's underground. Church is underground. And we get to come here freely and do this in the midst of wonderful air conditioning and lights. I'm not, I'm not chastising us for that or beating us over the head. I'm just reminding us, if all this is taken away, as the writer of Hebrews says, would we be content? Or will we, will we, will I have placed my contentment in all the external accoutrements that we have that enhance our worship? Nothing wrong with these things enhancing our worship. But he says to us, we're to give a sacrifice of praise. So the first question I wrote down in my notes to ask myself is, what is worship costing me? Now I know sometimes worship costs me a little walk in the rain. If it's raining outside. Maybe a little further to walk because of the parking lot till we finish our stuff out here. I mean, really, other than those things, what does worship really cost us here in Greer, South Carolina? So he says, the sacrifice of praise to God. There's also a key word in there. There's so many key words. You could preach five sermons off this one verse. Let us, that's us collectively, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. Continually. Continually. i got to be honest. There's some Sundays where I leave and our worship is so great and I love it and we have a great worship team. But if I walk out the door and I flip a switch mentally that, okay, that was the praise service, that was the worship service, now I've entered my real life, I have totally missed the way God wants us to interact with Him on a daily basis. No, this is the pep rally. When I walk out the door, that's when the worship service starts. Are you tracking with me this morning? And I need that reminder. I'm not just saying you need it. I need that reminder. Because of all the things in the world that are crazy and in turmoil, I've got to be reminded that the priority is Jesus. And our praise that pleases God should be a sacrifice of praise. It may be costly. It might be inconvenient. But I'm not doing it for anybody except for Him. So he talks about this, this vertical part of our response. Our response to the fact that Jesus Christ is the priority and He's our high priest. And we don't have to go outside the camp and sacrifice because the sacrifice has already been done. 
and we accept that sacrifice, our response is, first of all, a sacrifice of praise to God, our, our, our vertical response. But then he also talks about our horizontal response with each other because he says this, Do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Do not neglect doing good and sharing. If you remember, there's, there's another phrase a few chapters earlier, where he uses the same phrase, the same word. You know where it is? You remember? Do not neglect the assembling of yourselves together. Same phrase, same word, same root word that he uses in this verse. Do not neglect doing good and sharing. So our vertical sacrifice of praise... It's through worship. But then our horizontal is service. It's serving each other. It's back to that hospitable spirit he talks about in the earlier verses of this chapter. Loving one another. Doing good to one another. Sharing with one another for such sacrifice as God is pleased. So here's my question to you as we wrap up this morning. Here's my question to me this morning. How am I doing in my response to the creator of the world who gave his son so that I can have fellowship with him and relationship with him? How am I doing in my response? Some weeks I'm doing all right, some weeks not so good. What the Lord desires for me, according to this text and what he desires of you, is that my life, would be continually offering up a sacrifice of praise to God. And church, I'm convinced if people saw that consistently, continually, consistently in my life, if they saw it consistently and continually in your life, a sacrifice of praise to God, they're going to start asking questions. It's not like you have to be the aggressor in sharing your testimony or witnessing or sharing Christ with people. If people see you and I consistently and continually offering up a sacrifice to praise to God, they're going to start going, you are weird. Can you tell me what, what is going on with you? What, how can you maintain such a great outlook in the midst of all that's going on in our world right now? How can you do it? And then you can say, let me just tell you, because my priority is Jesus Christ. He is my high priest. I can pray and go directly to Him. He cares for every one of my concerns and I can cast, him at, cast my cares on Him because He cares for me. And you can go on and on and on and on. So, will you do it? Maybe you find yourself here today and it's a struggle for you to be content. Can I ask you this question with all the love in my heart for you? Have you placed your trust in the one and only person where you will find true contentment? His name is Jesus. See, just like you, before I came to know Christ, I had what some people describe as a God-shaped void in my life and in my heart. And I tried to fill that God-shaped hole with all kinds of things. And it would bring somewhat satisfaction for a while, but eventually it would wear off and I would discover, you know what, I'm not truly content. And I never found true contentment until I placed my trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe that's what you need to do today. 
In just a minute, we're going to sing a song of invitation. And my friends will be here at the front, Heath, and I'll be here at the front. We'd just love to pray with you and encourage you. Maybe you'd just like to say this morning, that's, that's me. Believe it or not, you can, you can be a child of God and still be going through a season of discontentment. And what it really means is, if, if I'm just honest with you, because this happens to me too. It really means you have wandered away, whether it's a mile or may, maybe an inch, you've wandered away from the Lord. And you started to try to find your contentment in other places, and you just need to turn back to Him. Repent is a spiritual word. Turn back to Him and say, Lord, forgive me. I know I can only find contentment in one place, and it's you. Maybe you need to do that today. However you need to respond, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that as we sing in just a minute. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, that when we look for contentment, we know it can only be found in one place. I pray, Father, if there are any friends in here today who are not content, there's a stirring in their heart, in their soul, and they just have not found rest. They're weary from the journey of life. Lord, I pray that they would just surrender themselves to you today. They don't have to know everything that there is about following Jesus. They can learn those things. But, but maybe today they just say, today I just need to lay everything at the Lord's feet and trust Him. Because I need contentment. I need peace in my soul. Maybe there's friends in this place that know you, Jesus. But for whatever reason in this season of life, there's some external things happening. They have their world upside down and it's very hard for them to be content. Would you... Like a GPS, Lord, would you just pull their heart back to you? Friends, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, you're praying this morning. There's no way for me to know where all of us are right now in this journey. But if you find yourself here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, can I just tell you, it'll be the best decision you will ever, ever, ever make. And in just a minute, our church family is going to stand and Sing, and if you'd say today, that's me, I need to know Christ. Won't embarrass you, no guilt. Just come down and grab my hand or Heath's hand and say, that's me, I need to know Christ. We just love to have a prayer with you and tell you how right now, right where you are, that can happen. Maybe you know the Lord today and you just need to repent. Maybe you need to come down front. You need to pray. Maybe you need to surrender to the Lord. I don't know what it is God has moving on your heart to do, but would you be obedient today? Father, thank you for what you're going to do, what you've already done and what you're going to do in this time of invitation, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. So good to see you this morning. I don't know how God's speaking to your heart, but I'm going to ask you to be obedient. And uh, Stephen's going to lead us in our invitation hymn. Would you stand and join me and let's sing together? If you need to respond, you do as the Lord leads you this morning. Let's sing. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're so glad that you joined us for the message today. If Pastor Jack or any of our team can serve you, please reach out to us. You can send us an email at jack at hope 
at crossroads.org or by visiting our website. We would be most grateful to know where you are listening because we have people all over the world listening to our podcast. You can send us a message through our website. We would appreciate your prayers for us as we are in the midst of a building campaign to reach more children and families in our local community in Greenville County, South Carolina. If you would like to help, you can always make your gift online at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads.